and welcome to Stranger Shopping Strangers, podcast number 30. Thank you so much for tuning in. A big welcome back to anyone who's returning, and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. This week's podcast, I get a chance to talk to Drew Moss, and uh, he's such a nice guy. We met through mutual friends, and we cover a lot of ground on this podcast. We uh, start off talking about the lyrics and how they tie into his philosophies working with students and life. We talk about a documentary that he made, um, playing in a band, and the future of music. So a lot of fun topics and, as always, a lot of great music. On this podcast, we kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, We play songs that are shows that he went to, as well as shows, songs that are just really what he considers the most inspirational and, and some of the best recordings. So everything's always a little different. Uh, the podcast is all about the guest and, and what inspires them. And uh, as always, just so much fun to meet and to talk and to share. So thank you so much for stopping in, and uh, we will catch you next week. Well, Drew, welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. Stacy, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm really excited. It's an awesome thing that you're doing. Oh, I'm really excited to talk to you. I was uh, excited to to meet you through uh, through our friends and and be in touch and um and you just have so much and, and you're so organized. I have I have everything. Uh it's nice working with a professional. It's an illusion, but thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I feel locked and loaded. So uh so it's all good. It's gonna be a, a great listen for everyone. Good, good. Excellent. So fantastic. Well so tell me a little bit about the beginning. It's always a, a good place to start and uh so tell me a little bit about, you know, getting into the music and uh your your early days uh nineteen eighty nine and, and uh what what went down. I think that's one of the coolest parts of getting to talk to other deadheads is understanding how they got on the bus. Um growing up junior high school and high school, I had absolutely no idea who the Grateful Dead were or what they were about at all whatsoever. I thought that they were a heavy metal band because of all the iconography, the skulls, the skeletons. And in my mind, I put them in the Black Sabbath camp and never even gave them a thought or a listen, was never exposed, nothing. Fast forward to uh, freshman year of college, and, uh, you know, I'm hanging out with a bunch of new friends in the dorm. And, uh, you know, we're... uh, we're tuned up chemically, so to speak, if you will, and we're kind of just hanging out. And I'm just kind of like laying in the sun. I'm like laying on the floor, and the sun's pouring in the window. I'm really kind of not doing anything, just truly spacing out. And um, out of nowhere, I guess someone put a disc on. I hear boom, 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 boom. But I hear this rollicking, rocking, picking bass line. And I was into prog rock, Rush. I was a big Rush head. I played a little bass. So this sound, I mean, it just cut right through me. And I jumped up from wherever I was. I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> and my crunchy buddy goes, that's the Grateful Dead. I said, shut the fuck up. I said, that is not the Grateful Dead. They're a heavy metal band. He goes, what are you talking about, man? And 
I've never looked back since. It was Cumberland Blues. I was immediately, immediately transfixed. And uh, that was 25 years ago, and I never looked back. Wow. Um, and, you know, for the whole catalog, I mean, Cumberland Blues, I mean, well, they're definitely not a heavy metal band by any stretch, but, I mean, they definitely transcend every category of music. Um, a, a girlfriend of mine had asked me to Google it recently, like, what kind of music, and it, you know, it hit, like, seven genres, you know, because like, there's, yeah. there's a band beyond description. There is no yeah. there is no specific genre. But Cumberland Blues is probably one of the furthest genres that they do than, you know, within the catalog, right? I mean, like, so... Yeah, I mean, could not, been, could not be further away from any kind of heavy sound, right? You're talking about, I mean, it's a country tune. It's a banjo tune. It's, a, it's, a, it's an Appalachian piece of Americana. Right. And uh, I was, uh, you know, so that was a whole complete 180 for me uh, in, in, in every way. Um, so from there, it was a lot of listening. Um, my first show was um, April 3rd, 1989. I'm pretty encyclopedic about what I, you know, everyone has what they love and what they know. I mean, I don't think I'm as encyclopedic as others might be across the board. Like, I, you know, I like a David Gans who's just... And, and uh, Gary Lambert, these guys have it all covered. But for what I for for what I know, I know pretty well, you know, which is late era, um, for the most part. I mean, of course, I'm exposed to it all. But anyway, uh, April '89, Pittsburgh Civic Center. Um, I mean, I was, we sat in like we drove like five hours from Baltimore to Pittsburgh. I'm like scrunched up in the back of a Honda Civic. Don't know where I'm going or what I'm getting into. Uh, I just know I'm chasing the sound. Um, which I'm sure is a common thread for, for all of us, really. Um, I don't remember too much about that show other than the guy behind me. We were like in the second to last row of the joint. The guy behind me taps me on the shoulder, gives me a $20 bill. He says, go buy me a beer and buy yourself one. And I said, this is my kind of crowd. I was like, how freaking cool is that? Right. You know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, just the, the friendliness uh, was nothing like I'd ever experienced before at, at a live concert. Um, what little exposure I'd had to that point. I mean, you're talking 17, 18 years old. Um, so I still was, don't see that kind of friendly list anywhere else, right? <laughs> oh, no way. Forget, forget about it. It's a totally unique, uh, and we'll get to that later, but I mean, not that it's any secret to anyone who's listening. We're all of like mind. But um, that was really, that opened my heart, you know. Uh, so my ears are open at this point. My eyes are wide open. My heart's wide open. Um, just in time for uh, summer of 89, which is when things really, really changed for me in a big way. Um, for better or worse, no judgments. Uh, it was the first time I really got into heavy psychedelics. Um, it was a really, really excellent tour. Uh, I think as most people know, if you listen to the tapes, it's there. Um, really hot as hell, too. I mean, you had that whole, like, swampy, intense outdoor stadium Grateful Dead experience which uh, I think Dead & Company, I mean, that's the magic. You know, Chicago had that. Uh, you know, uh, Dead & Company at City Field had that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's one of those uh, landmarks, one of those touchstones, is that big Mondo Stadium, stadium feel, which, you know, if you read and, and you do the research, they weren't so much in love with that experience because I guess they felt detached from, from their audience and, and, and whatever, whatever. But... Uh, I can certainly say that I felt no detachment at all whatsoever. So, you know, it was Fosboro, Buffalo, Giant Stadium, uh, JFK, Philly, um, and just onward and onward from there. You know, I was on board, you know, right up till the very end, um, you know, right up through 95 and beyond, you know, all the rat dog, other ones, all the different permutations that have, that have been out there since. So, uh, you know, it's been an amazing ride.
been an amazing ride. Um, you know, I've always been first and foremost, always, and I'm not alone in this, I'm sure. But everyone has varying degrees of where their interest and where their passion lies and what goes on. I've always been about the music. It's really always been about the music for me. As a musician, um, that's really what attracts me to the Grateful Dead is the way they interact, uh, the way they are in it. I, I say this with benevolence. They're in it for themselves, right? They're putting on a show, but it starts inward, right? They're putting on a show for each other. They're trying to inspire each other yeah. musically, musically first. And then uh, everything grows organically outward from there. Yeah, and, no. the hum- and, and the humanity of it, right? When they trip up, when they make mistakes, when Bobby's laughing, when he botches a, a lyric, or you know, when Jerry's scratching his head, or Jerry's turning around and smoking a cigarette in the middle of a jam. Like, there's such organic humanity there. Um, that's the type of dynamic that really attracted me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know, I I have said before, probably on this podcast, I know I've said in life many times, but. Uh, you know, other people put on a concert, but the dead put on a show, you know? And and to me, that's a really strong distinction. How many shows did you go to? When you refer to other bands, and not that there aren't other amazing, great bands out there, but to me, that that's the distinction, just literally in the, uh, in the, the verbiage of it all. I agree with you. Uh, and even just the, a simple phrase like, have a great show. Like, think about the magnitude of that very simple comment. Uh, you know, what you're saying to your, your brother or your sister next to you is like, we're in for an adventure here. And what's cool is your adventure could be completely, we could be sitting next to each other and have a completely identical show, or we could have a completely different show. And, um, again, that speaks to the power, I think, of the music and the band's ability to, uh, get to the heart of every, get to the, get to the zeitgeist, right? Get to the collective but at the same time, get to each and every individual. And the individuals are responsible for that as well. And the band, as, as they've said, ad nauseum, they'd be the first to tell you, um, but they're acutely aware of that dynamic. And I think that's, you know, I think that's definitely unique oh, uh, in, in, contemporary, in contemporary modern music, really. Well, I totally agree. And uh, let's, uh, so let's go into the first song, because we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, a bunch of songs. So, you know, on the podcast, everybody rolls it a little differently. I mean, this podcast is... It's really for you. It's about you. It's for the listeners. It's for you. It's, it's your story. There are no rules. So sometimes people play music that would go along with their show. So people here are probably expecting us to bust out, you know, four three eighty nine Pittsburgh, great show, but we're not. We're gonna we're gonna go deep back a little bit, and we're gonna play the Cumberland Blues. So we should go back to the top, baby. We're going to go all the way back to the top and then going to roll it back forward. So let's have uh, the music start at the beginning and then we're going to go into some of the live shows you saw down the road. So listeners, there is there are no rules on Stranger Stopping Strangers. We're just going to keep mixing it up on every podcast. Whatever whatever is your inspiration is uh is is what we're going to play. So um so here we go. So this is um people I'm sure have heard this cuz this is an amazing uh recording and it's um just a smidge over five minutes, so I think we will definitely get the whole thing in. And uh, Cumberland Blues, and this is from 4872, played out in London on Europe 72. Rocket. Rocket. All right, everybody enjoy, and we will be back.
Listening to Europe 72's Cumberland Blues, your very first experience, and uh, and I'm sure everybody is uh, is smiling right about now. You think? Myself included. So tasty. <laughs> well, so we were talking a few minutes ago about the music, and I mean, again, the music is everything. But you know, and and I know that we agree on this. It's it's really two prongs. You know, it's the music. And it's the lyrics, you know, because there's, there's great music out there, but unless, you know, they're really telling a story and it's meaningful, it's still fantastic and awesome and fun, but it's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't reach that next level. So I think, well, you know, we had talked a bit about philosophies and music and Robert Hunter and, um, and you incorporate that into your daily life. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, well, I don't, again, uh, I think it's important to, to note any time I'm talking, I feel like, I mean, I haven't been given the mouthpiece of the community, but I know that I'm speaking for how so many of us feel uh, of the music and the lyrics. You and I were talking a couple of days ago, Hunter really, for me, is the secret weapon. And <clears throat> the lyrics, they're almost like statues in the sense that they're a little more permanent, right? They don't, uh, the tone doesn't change, the instrumentation doesn't change, right? The, the gear doesn't change in the lyrics it does in the music right a 77 is going to sound a lot different than a 93 so on and so forth but those lyrics are always there they're such a landmark they're so solid they're so resonant um and i think they come out of as a journalist and as a writer and as a reader and again i think anyone who loves words is going to be able to resonate with this thought um what's cool about hunter is that he kind of bridges the gap as a writer now between the Kerouac, Cassidy, early beatnik mentality and the post-San Francisco 70s free love vibe. Because those two things are really not the same thing. And Hunter, with his imagery, but also with his, uh, uh, what I call a, 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 a working man's uh, Taoism. Uh, he's grounded, but he's ethereal. Um, he's concrete, but he's mystical. Um, and uh, that's the perfect veil I think, um, or, or the perfect uh, the perfect statue um, that that the music can kind of blow around like a wind, mm-hmm. and um, that's a really unique and cool quality. Again, I don't think you know. I mean, again, you want to talk about Rush and the way Neil Peart writes lyrics. He's also a terrific lyricist. Lou Reed's another one. He's a poet. Dylan, of course, is someone that you have to mention in that type of a conversation. Um, but you know, Hunter's look on life is really unique. Um, this idea that one day the light could be sh- shining on you completely and the next day you don't have a clue. I mean, again, talked about it a couple of minutes ago. There's just something incredibly deeply human about the way they express themselves. All the magic, all the flaws, all combined. And, uh, that's powerful and refreshing. For me, in my work, as a, you know, my primary gig as a, as a, uh, test prep specialist as a tutor and a college advisor, it's really interesting because it is that piece of humanity, that holistic look, the ups and downs, and be able to smile through it all, right, that I try to bring, to bring to the process when I work with kids who are not exposed to these types of philosophies, obviously. Maybe their parents are, right, but the kids aren't. And the kids are so swamped with what they're trying to accomplish. Here on Long Island, very competitive, a lot of kids spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of sweat, 
a lot of anxiety, a lot of money trying to reach those elite college dreams, right? So, and I'm in this privileged position to be able to provide help. Now, I could sit there and just grind on special right triangles and grammar and make it dry and boring and, and add another layer of pressure, right? I, for whatever reason, because I am who I am and I, and I come with the, the skill set and the philosophy that I come with, I try to go the other way. And while I'm not consciously preaching grateful deadness to these kids, I think the idea of, hey, you're going to have your ups and downs. Life someday is going to be gold. Life someday is going to be garbage. The sun's going to come up the next day. Things are always going to work out for you. A lot of those experiences that come from, like, being out on the road, right, touring, being down to your last freaking $5, or being on top of the world 10 minutes later, those types of experiences – I think, filter into what I do and filter into my overall philosophy so that I can sit with a kid and say, hey, listen, if you apply yourself, if you lead with your best intentions, good things are going to happen at the end of the day. And I think there is real grateful deadness to that. It's like, hey, you got to be along for the ride. you got to trust the journey. And here's my favorite, and this isn't mine. I read this elsewhere on another book about the boys. I think it might have been Business Secrets of the Grateful Dead or something like that. But... The Grateful Dead have this incredible ability to plan and act at the same time. And that's a really, really useful philosophy, I think, for students. Yes, you want to prep. Yes, you want to prepare. But you want to stay light on your feet, and you want to stay light in general. Don't be a prisoner to your own policies. Don't be afraid to improvise. And don't be afraid to make a mistake. That was the beauty of the dead, right? Absolutely. Completely unafraid to make a mistake. Oh. Uh, and, and in that, like going for the going for the gold, right? We're going to go for the brass ring. We're going to go musically for something we've never done before. If we fall on our face, we're in a room full of people who love us, and we love them. So no worries. No, I think and, you, uh, I think you learn just as much from your from your mistakes as you do from from your wins in everything in life. And I think it's so important to teach. And the kids these days, you know, they're under so much pressure and there's so many boxes that have to be checked that just have to be accomplished, you know, to be able to, to pursue what they're doing. And, and, and they have to, people have to have that, that little something special and to be able to bring that out and to have them show their vulnerabilities and what makes them different than the other, you know, 4.3, you know, all AP classes kid that's going in for the same place. I mean, to be able to, to teach them that humanity, I mean, that, that really makes all the difference. Oh, you really nailed it. And it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that last piece about just something quick for me. And you're talking about data and grade point and this and that. If you line up 20 students and they're all the same on paper, what's going to differentiate them when they try to get into college? It's going to be that essay, right? And that essay is when they can really express their humanity, when they can differentiate themselves and tell their story. And, uh, you know, there's nothing not Robert Hunter about that. That's a very, very Robert Hunter-esque experience. So, again, without walking around literally with uh, rings on my fingers and bells on my shoes, you know, we do try to infuse some of that energy, some of that joie de vivre, right, some of that just blind enthusiasm into what the kids do. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, thank God, I'm super busy. Um, it seems to resonate with the people that I work with. And uh, the interesting twist on this, two things, I want to get to what we're going to talk about musically in a second, but uh, oddly enough, I think I shared this with you. There was a passage on the ACT reading in December on the Grateful Dead. Really? Which, yeah. 
Uh, I'll actually, I actually, I tweeted it out there, so anyone who's listening and, and can just follow the Wall Street Dead Ahead and my Twitter handle and your Twitter handle, people will, will stumble on it. Uh, but it's out there. Um, and oddly enough, as I was making the rounds recently, because sometimes the kids get the test back and they get their scores back and, you know, what questions they got right and wrong, every single one of my students who don't know squat about the Grateful Dead, they all crushed that passage, which I just found to be really, really funny. Well, what's the passage? Uh, I think I don't have it in front of me. I think it came from the book I mentioned, like Business Secrets of the Grateful Dead or Everything I Learned About Business I Learned from the Grateful Dead, something like that. Okay. And really the, sp- the spine of the piece was about uh, Grateful Dead's business practices, how loyal they were to their fan base, how they gave it away for free in order to build brand loyalty rather than try to suck every dime out of uh, people that were interested in their music. And as you and I and so many people know, uh, that worked famously well. Absolutely, um, absolutely. <laughs> so when I'm driving around, right, uh, Deb Solomon, who we'll talk about her in a little bit, she's a miracle, but uh, when she and I first got to talking, and, you know, one of the things with Wall Street Dead Ahead, as you know, is like she wants to know everyone's favorite Dead song, and I was like, you got to be kidding me here. It's Sophie's Choice. And she's like, trust me, I, I need to know. I said, well, all I can tell you is that I've been listening to 7789, the first set, on a constant loop in my car, for the last two and a half years, I haven't stopped. I can't get off it. And, um, you know, that's part of that tour I was telling you about. So when I'm driving around and I'm working with kids in between houses, I'm jamming that entire set, which is, in my humble opinion, I'm sure everyone's going to have an opinion, is the best late-era first set out there on tape. It is just so electric. You know, add a star, I was at the show, but um, and it's part of it. It's red, white, and blue. Uh, which they, yeah, um, man, just furious playing wire to wire. You got Bucket, Ico, Rooster, Ramble on Rose, uh, Memphis, Loser, Let It Grow, Blow Away. I think that's how it goes. Wow. And uh, just the playing is just absolutely ferocious. But um, that Hell in a Bucket, man, they just come out. It's a total stampede. Um, and everyone's tone is perfect, and Jerry's way, way into it, and Bobby's spitting fire. Uh, and the bass, anyone who's listened, I'm sure many people out there have, bass is turned up for the entire gig. I mean, you can really hear Phil, uh, you know, loping along. So, pretty powerful. Well, let's hear it. You got me all pumped up. I think everyone's pumped up. Let's go into it. So, uh, so let's, uh, because your, your copy's all worn out. So, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to give you a fresh, a, a fresh loop of it to, uh, to go into. So, uh, I'm going to call this one, and this is Helen Bucket, July 7th, 1989, Philly. Woohoo!
were listening to the smoking Helena Bucket, and uh, and we got we got we got a lot of ground to cover. We got a lot of stuff. You have a you have such a a, a long and a winding road of uh, of stories and jobs and and um, and and just overall, you know. Um, relationships with the music and um and so i wanted to ask you a little bit about the film that you did because you you made a documentary which is a dream of mine so i want you to tell everyone a little bit about that thanks uh, i think at the end of the day the entire film that i did would be a demo right mm-hmm. it, for something maybe bigger and larger down the road and to be truthful and humble it all pales in comparison to this dog that's coming out which i heard by the way is really really incredible um the one that's going to Amazon that was just at Sundance. But as far as mine goes, um, my fascination, my angle was um, about the afterlife of the Grateful Dead. It was about all of these offs and all this cool stuff that's still happening and how after Jerry's death, um, you know, the ball was never really dropped at all. And not just by the guy, not just by Bobby and Phil and Nikki and Billy and, and whoever else, but the dark star orchestras of the world um, and all of these other um cover bands really around the country um, that have really picked up the ball and they're running with it in a really, really sharp way with a lot of integrity and quite frankly with a lot of good sound. I mean, if it doesn't sound good, it's not going to draw listeners and people's ears aren't going to be turned on. But a lot of these bands and a lot of these musicians are doing a really, really incredible job. So I wanted to pursue that cinematically. Um, So I ended up doing a a 20-minute, what I would call a mini-documentary called Built to Last. The Afterlife of the Grateful Dead. And uh, I just put it on YouTube. Um, I didn't try to monetize it in any way, shape, or form. It was really just a love letter to what was going on. And uh, I took this as a compliment. It eventually got shut down on YouTube. It went viral immediately, was getting absolutely pounded. And my understanding is what happened is it got the attention of the YouTube advertisers. And shame on me because I used found footage, other stuff on the Internet and on YouTube in the documentary. They shut it down. But I was okay with that. I wasn't really trying to. I would like more to have had more people see it. Um, but for me, it was mission accomplished, which was to just get it done. And um, it was an interesting process because before I started, I did try to be responsible. I reached out to some of the parties that I think would have a say um, with respect to publishing and copyright issues, all which is a very, very complex uh, matrix of weirdness. Um, but uh, the Alan Trists of the world and Blair Jackson and Dennis McNally uh, were all people that I spoke to. And it was interesting. In what I found to be very, very true Grateful Dead fashion, they weren't necessarily proactively helpful, right? They didn't say, oh, I'm going to help you do this, or I'm going to help you do that. But kind of more importantly, and I think this is really, truly Grateful Dead-esque, they didn't stand in the way, right? It was like, we're not going to help you do it, but we're not going to stop you from doing it. You have an idea? You want to try something? You want to execute? Go for it. You have a question? We're here to answer your question. We're not here to stop you. We're not going to proactively help you bring your vision to life, but we're definitely going to give you the opportunity. If you want to go and pursue something, we're not going to stand in your way, which was more than enough for me. Uh, and I was really proud of the piece. Uh, there's still a trail here. Google built to last afterlife of the Grateful Dead. It's there. Um, but uh, talking to those guys in and of itself was a really cool experience. Alan Trist, uh, in particular, who's been there from the very, very beginning. I mean, I think he was in the car crash with Jerry back in the early 60s. I mean, I think they were both in, in that infamous car accident. Um, wow. He's a wonderful man. Uh, and he did spend a lot of time talking to me about 
um, you know, the nature of what it was I was trying to do and where the pitfalls might be. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, because he does control, he is the um, governing body of Ice Nine Publishing. He basically greenlit me. He said, "Listen, go do whatever it is you want to do." Um, he did see the documentary. He did love it, uh, and in a way, that was enough for me. McNally too. He really liked it. Blair liked it, uh, and that was enough. And some of the musicians who saw it, they got it out there. They really liked it. Jeff Matson was instrumental uh, from Dark Star Orchestra. He played a big role in it. Uh, Mark Karen from That Dog. So all of that stuff was really, really fun. That is so cool. And, you know, I have to say, you know, in hearing your story and the way you articulated it, I have a really similar story. And uh, and I won't be too long-winded, but um, I don't know if I've ever really talked about this on the podcast. But, you know, I mean, when I started this podcast, it was, I mean, I think people who have been following along, it was bits and pieces. You know, I have no experience whatsoever with this at all in any way, shape, or form. You know, I have a couple of kids and work in a different industry and decided to jump into the conversation. So took kind of a similar route. And Dennis McNally, whose name you had mentioned, and I'm going to mention him, had I emailed him, and he emailed me back. We emailed a couple times, and he said, sure, I'll talk to you. And the way you articulated it was so absolutely perfect. Um, I like to refer to him because I say, well, you know, we talked, and, and then we talked again a couple months ago, and, and actually since we've met for coffee, and, and I would consider him a friend now. Like, he's he's amazing. But from the very first conversation last May, he didn't do anything, but he was really supportive and kind and thoughtful and helpful. And I call him the, the Dumbo feather, you know, like yeah. when Dumbo jumped out and they had that feather. Yeah. And, you know, that's all he needed was that feather. And all I nearly needed was Dennis saying, yeah, it's a great idea. You should totally go for it. Yeah. I mean, I think he connected me with one or two people. And But has, I think you know, watch this grow, again, as a friend and supportive and, um, and yeah, very similar experience where it's not like anybody put it out there, but everyone's been so encouraging and supportive and, um, and it's everything. It shows you that, it shows you that they're through and through, that they don't just talk the talk, all of them, the whole scene. It, it, they walk the walk. They really do come from this place of, yeah, man, go for it, you know. We're not going to stop you. We're, we're, all, we're all about going for it. <laughs> Um, but, but go do your own thing. But you, but that being said, right, now I'm not gonna, right? I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold your hand. But like, go boldly into the night, you know, and report back to me. Let me know how you make out. Totally. Why? Well, I, I have to say, I had the exact same experience. So uh, nothing, nothing like a little consistency with people, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, so- you just want someone to be thorough and real. And 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 as you just said, I mean, anyone that we've come in contact with. Uh, has been that. And for me, on the journalism side, on the writing side, so this is my favorite. Um, I did a bunch of features for Long Island Pulse magazine, which is a, a gorgeous print and online uh, publication. Uh, it serves the metropolitan area. Um, my first piece with them, this is going back 2012, maybe four or five years ago, was a cover story on Mickey Hart. Um, so... First time I'm ever doing a feature for the magazine, I'm on the phone with my idol, and I'm a drummer. So, I mean, I love them all, but Mickey to me is really, really special. And uh, so that was just a flat-out dream come true, but he said the most amazing thing to me. We're on the phone, we're just getting settled in, much like you and I were earlier on this podcast, and uh, I asked him some kind of preliminary question, uh, you know, we were just getting lined up. And uh, he said to me with total honesty and earnestness and such simplicity, he said, Drew, I'm here for you. 
And I was like, he meant it, man. Like, it went right through my cells for whatever reason. And it wasn't like, wow, Mickey Hart's here for me. It was just like, this freaking guy is up for really, really helping me do something cool just by being present and giving of himself and sharing his knowledge. And I've never forgotten that. And, again, to tie it back to the tutoring thing, if I sit with a kid, I truly want to be present for that kid with the mindset of, I'm here for you. Uh, you know, and it made me realize, like, wow, Mickey Hart, for all of his insane greatness, at the core of it, is a man of service. And I found yeah. I found Bobby Weir on the phone to be the same way. I found John Mayer to be the same way as well. Um, and you could say, oh, well, of course it's self-serving because they're getting promoted. Does Mickey Hart or Bob Weir or John Mayer really need a journalist from Long Island Pulse to promote them? I don't think so. I think it's just that these guys are wired to be present and to yeah. and to acknowledge the people around them uh, as equals and with kindness and benevolence and not look down their nose at anybody. And it's not even some kind of extreme magnanimous gratitude. It's just simple grounded. Again, I'm going to use the word humanity. They're just they're just real dudes. And uh, well, I think it's part and parcel with the first part of the conversation. I mean, you have to wonder how can you exude that kind of energy and connect with a stadium of people, yeah, right? You're, yeah. A whole stadium. How do you connect with a stadium of people unless you are tuned in? You know, I and I think, so spot on. You're so spot on. That's exactly right. I mean, I think yeah. I think the whole thing is, um, you know, is 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 connected. So I want to hear some music. You uh, you picked a show, and I'm looking at the show, and this I mean this show is 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 like the one. Um, and so I know everyone always loves to listen and and hear from it. But tell me a little bit about why you picked it and uh, what we're going to go into. So uh, I don't know if it was played on the podcast before, and I, I don't know if it's cliche or not. But I really don't care if it's cliche. It's cliche for a reason. Uh, for me, uh, and for all of our Jewish deadhead friends out there uh, who might appreciate this reference, for me, Cornell is the Torah. It is the sacred scroll. Um, and, uh, I mean, we really could have gone anywhere in this show. Um, obviously, some of the pieces are longer than others. The whole Scarlet Fire uh, situation is a world beater. That whole 17-minute dancing in the streets at the end of the first set also. But, um, you know, for the sake of uh, expediency and... Uh, um, Radio Gold, um, I think we agreed to tighten it up a little bit and uh, go with uh, one of the, I think, one of the, the swingingest uh, and concise, never goes off the rails like the late 80s, but you got this really tight, really swinging, beautifully played uh, deal. So I thought that we would listen to that. And I just love that song. I mean, again, it goes back to us talking earlier about lyrics and uh and you know, I feel like uh, I feel like the lyrics transcend your life. I mean, wherever you're at in your life, the lyrics catch up with you. And um, and uh, and I love you know being a nice Jewish girl. You know, I'm always involved with some deal or another. So um, so it's the perfect song for our Jewish deadheads. I'm trying to get the right word uh, about my about my tribe. You know, always we're always we are always working on something. Always tournament. working it, man. We're always working it in a good way, trying to create win-win situations for everybody. Absolutely. Which There's one? always a deal going down, whether it's again personally or business-wise or something. There's always there's I'm always trying to figure out what 
it is. So, and there uh, ain't nothing wrong with that. And it goes to show you don't ever know. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's let this uh, let's let this deal go down. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna roll with it, and then we're gonna be back and uh, and hear uh, a couple more stories and a couple more songs. Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs>
listening to Deal, kind of a new favorite. I feel like the favorites change over the years, and uh, I don't remember Deal being a favorite years ago, but um, I just I just love everything about that song. I just It's so much fun. Me too. It just swings, and uh, the chord progression is delicious, and, uh, you know, Jerry, who sometimes gets stuck in ballad, ballad land, you know, it gets a little swampy sometimes, it's always good to hear Jerry swing. I love that. Yeah, I uh, absolutely. Well, so you have kind of touched on that you are a musician, and I know that you take um, you participate in in the jams and and amongst other things. So, so tell me a little bit about you know how we met was through Deb and uh, gosh, Deb, this is hey girl, this is like the third or fourth so, podcast. Yeah, uh, so let's really we could do a whole podcast on Deb, but let's see if we, we can could. condense it real quickly because uh, she really is. I mean, you know, I'm preaching to the converted right now when I talk to you. I know that. I mean, she's a miracle worker. She's just one of these angels. Uh, I mean, I met Deb completely out of the blue. I read the article in Rolling Stone about Wall Street Dead Ahead, and I reached out to Deb completely out of the blue. I don't do business with her. I don't do business with anyone she knows. Nothing. And we just completely, totally hit it off. And uh, here she is bringing me into this amazing world. You know the old cliche, like when you're growing up, you don't make new friends, you know? Like you have your friends and you have your family and, and you roll on. Well, that cliche has been completely blown wide open for me because I've met an amazing group of such kind, funny, hardworking, diversely talented people uh, that as recently as six months ago, I didn't know any of them. And now they're all part of my life. That's a miracle, and that's Deb. Deb just simply walks through life being herself and creating, I just mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, creating win-win situations naturally, organically. It seems, like, it seems completely effortless to me what she does, and I'm in awe of it. Um, she's also ridiculously shrewd. She doesn't suffer fools. She doesn't fuck around. She knows how to get down to business and get things done, and she does it with a smile and a ridiculous amount of organic happiness. And to me... Uh, that's a miracle and a real, real blessing. Uh, I mean, right now, the fact that we're on the phone right now having this conversation and doing this podcast, that's all about Deb. So. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, and, and absolutely. And, and not the first and won't be the last, you know, because I'm just, I'm meeting all these amazing people and, and, uh, and, and Deb is going to continue to be a common core because she's the person who's introduced me to people. And then it's like a, it's a tree that spuns out with all these different leaves and branches to all different people who all come from their own story. But she's been such an amazing conduit to meeting all of these, you know, amazing people. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I mean, yes, yes, yes. And a friend. I mean, I'm going to go stay with her in a couple of weeks. I mean, you know, just a cool chick. And has a full-time job aside from all of this, too. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. And it's quite, ama- it's quite amazing what she does. And so as a spinoff to the whole network in general, as you mentioned earlier, is the whole jam session, which has been a big room, right? A lot of people have been invited to this jam. Started out maybe, you know, I don't remember the number, a dozen, 15 players. It's expanded. We kind of rotate in and out. But we have this awesome space uh, on the west. I'll plug Carol's. Why not? Carol's uh, rehearsal studio on the west side of Manhattan. Big, beautiful room, two drum kits, tons of top flight gear. And, uh, you know, once a month we pile into this room and uh, we just light it up and we just start, you know, we just start ripping through the catalog. And uh, it has been amazing. I, listen, I'm not a professional musician. I can hold my own. I have no problem saying that. I was blown away by the quality of play. 
I mean, really, really high level. We sat down, and we were flying. I couldn't believe it. I was really, really pleasantly surprised and encouraged and, quite frankly, totally inspired um, by what was going on there musically. Um, and if you want to spin it right into the next tune we're going to play, one of the tunes that we sat down, and you got to remember, this is a bunch of strangers who sit down in a room. I mean, we share the commonality of the music, right, which is a big binding force, but, you know, Sitting down to play. You're not practicing together. You're not, you didn't like grow up together. You don't, yeah, you're just like being thrown in with the same, same heart, soul catalog, but you don't have any, any previous band experience together as a band. That's correct. So to see this thing take off like that or hear it take off like that or both, uh, was a revelation. But the first tune that I sat in on that really lifted me out of my chair was the tune that you're going to play right now, and I'll actually turn the tables on you, and I'll let you introduce the tune this time. But this is the one, uh, the first one of many, uh, at the Wall Street Dead Ahead Jam that uh, really lit a fire under me. So go ahead, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to go into trucking, and everybody loves a trucking. Yeah. So you selected trucking from November 29th, 1980. So that is uh, that's the year, that's the date, and trucking is the tune. So um, so much fun, so many different directions this song can go, and so many so many directions it goes, so many places it, it takes you to. So um, so let's all go in and enjoy and listen, and we come back and we have one more one more little thing we're going to talk about, one more song, and um, everybody enjoy and keep on trucking.
listening to Truckin', and, uh, you know, I, uh, it's so funny how, like, everything is, it's so forward and so serendipitous. We were just, just chatting a minute ago about, um, coming into New York and hopefully getting to meet, and, um, I'm coming in for Tree of Life. Uh, Rob Rossin was on the podcast, Podcast 23, and talked about it. It's a charity event for, um, Ferncliff Manor, and it's coming up, and back in December, that seemed like it was, you know, eons away, and now it's just in a couple of weeks. So it's this great, you know, bunch of artists, and we wanted to talk about, you know, well, what's, what do we got to look forward to, and, and what your thoughts are on, on all of these great bands, and, you know, the Dead & Company tours, and, um, so tell, tell me a little bit, Drew, about, uh, kind of what your plans are, what your thoughts are. Yeah, uh, I think it's really cool. We talked about this, you know, off the air, uh, a couple of days ago also. Grateful Dead music is so interesting because it invites, uh, both extreme judgment and extreme non-judgment, right? People who have it in their head how it should sound. And this also, this plays out in the jams as well when, when we jam with, uh, with Wall Street Dead Ahead. Uh, listen, there's no way around it. You have it in your head how you think it, you'd love it to sound. Right, but I think implicit in that reality, you have to understand that the way you hear it between your ears is only one way, right? And the Garcias and the Weirs and the Phils of the world would tell you the same exact thing. Hey, man, sounds completely different to me on stage than it does to the guy in the fifth row and the guy in the five hundredth row and the guy next to me and so on and so forth. So I think the idea of abandoning expectation is really the key to enjoying this music as it moves forward. Um, and once you can do that, right, once you can drop it doesn't sound like Jerry, once you can drop the idea it doesn't sound like X, Y, or Z, then I think you're wide open to the experience. Um, and, you know, I'm human. I come in and out of that mode. Uh, I think it's inevitable. There are moments where I'm like, you know, my ear is bending towards something that I think I want to hear. Um, but uh, I've gotten pretty good at myself and, and shutting that piece off. And I think when you do shut that piece off, as I said, you're open to all of it. And you got everyone from, like, Joe Russo, who's an absolute beast. I mean, the guy's a monster. And everything he's doing with J-Rad, um, you know, you have Dead & Company, of course, who's, you know, they're still carrying the flag and, and doing what they do. I mean, it, it's beyond reproach. I mean, they're they're the gatekeepers. So, uh, you know, they deserve the high praise um, that they've been getting. And I think real quick, and again, I had the true pleasure of talking to John Mayer about this, I think he's really injected a lot of life into the scene. I mean, absolutely. You know, the piece, oh, the piece I did, and, and I think when the podcast goes out, if people want to read some of the some of the writing that I've done, uh, the piece I did on Bobby and John, um, I spent a lot of time talking about, again, from my perception, how similar John and Jerry are, not so much necessarily in the sound, right, but in the approach. I mean, John Mayer. He's a woodshedder. All this guy does is practice, practice, practice. And, you know, on the surface, he looks like, you know, anyone who's uh, uninformed thinks that he's uh, Jesse Simpson's boyfriend. Right, I was going to say, on the surface, not so much, you know? right? I mean, from the visuals, like uh, from uh, the pages of Us magazine, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put uh, the pictures of Us magazine. I don't think I'd put Jerry and John, you know, uh, like side by side with the who wore it better. No, no, I, I that, but when you when you scratch below below that, um, I totally hear what you're saying because that's not what you're saying. I mean, when you scratch below that exterior and you get into somebody when you're watching them play is just, I mean, they're into it. I mean, they're they're 
they're sharing with the crowd, but they're in, they're in their own head at the same time. Like they are, they're they're going down a rabbit hole, and it's just so fun to be on the ride with them. And I think you could say that about both of them for sure. And that's what I learned. And I, what I learned is like that's what Bobby saw, King John Mayer, and that's what Bobby said to me. Well, he was on a conference call. He said to all of us on the call, but he really saw in John this this deep rooted uh, this this uh, innate desire to be a student. And that's what Garcia was. Garcia was first and foremost a student. Yes, he was a teacher and a leader, but he certainly led from behind, and he was a practicer. I mean, all he wanted to do was play and play and play. And John Mayer is uh, the same way. So he's really exciting. I think what they're doing is exciting. The only other thing, and they don't need, again, no one needs me to plug them, but I just want to give a quick shout-out, and I want to mention Dark Star Orchestra, because to me, they are where it's at. You shut your eyes, man, and forget about ex- – they don't meet expectations. They set their own new, complete, totally different expectations. I mean, I think they are just doing such a fabulous job of delivering on this songbook in a way um, that just elevates the whole experience. And I have this fantasy in my mind. I feel like Dark Star is today the way the boys were like in the 70s, before the big stadium tours, before everything got out of control. And uh, – Tickets became impossible, and and everything became impossible. Back in the 70s, I I would guess, I would imagine, as I said, I fantasize, you drive up to the venue, you park your car, you smoke a J, you walk in, you go to your seat, the lights go down, and boom, game on. And that's what it's like. That's what it's like with Dark Star. Um, I mean, you, can just... you just totally described the experience I had because I, I I saw them last November up in Northampton at the Kelvin okay. and um, yeah, check check check, you know <laughs> exactly how it went down at this magical old theater that was big enough to be you know it's like you know like the Capitol Theater there like you're you're playing a venue, um, you're not playing a bar you know like you are out of like a killer venue. But it's approachable. It's small. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a pushy little girl, and I got myself a lady, I guess, really at this point. But I always get myself, you know, push myself all the way up to the front. And uh, and it was so fun. I mean, I literally had my purse on the stage. But I mean, that's just the kind of place it was, and those are the kind of people they are, you know. So and meanwhile, P.S. The music, you know, the music is no is not scaled down uh, in terms of quality in any way, shape, or form. At least in my experience, I mean, they blow my mind every single time. And the thing about Jeff. Now, real quick, Jeff Matson. Uh, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I've been seeing Jeff Matson since he was playing in bars on Long Island, playing Grateful Dead music 25 years ago. So he's wow. been, he's been on the bus forever. I mean, again, another a total student of the game, a total practicer, a total woodshedder. NPS, the nicest, sweetest guy you'd ever want to meet. So he completely fits the profile, right? But um. He never takes a tune off, man. Every single tune, he takes it to the max. Every jam, he takes it to the max. And uh, it's thrilling. They are absolutely thrilling. And, you know, for me, right, I'm getting up there, whatever, I'm in my 40s. I'm not getting younger. I have kids. It's so heartening. It's so inspiring to know that as long as these guys stay healthy, we have a lifetime, a full lifetime of this stuff ahead of us. And to me, Absolutely. that's really, well, really exciting. 
and for the kids, you know, like, I mean, and for that as well. I mean, again, we could go, we could go on and on and on. So we can talk about this and then we'll go into the last song. But the kids, I mean, I have, I mean, I've had a couple, what I call 21st century deadheads on the podcast. I've got a couple more guys that are going to be on soon. And I mean, they're just so excited. So, I mean, with the future and the music and, and the bands and the stuff, it, it has to keep coming out because, you know, they can't talk about 89. They can't talk about, you know, we, there's people, you know, could be talking about 79 or 69 for that, for that matter, but they don't have those memories. So, I mean, the music has to keep playing because there's, it's, it's there. The people are there. So, um, so as long as as long as all these guys and again I'll just sing a lot dark star since we're talking about it as long as they keep doing their part like I'm so humbled and happy to report that my wife who's a huge head and our two boys eight and eleven they've been to shows and we'll just keep doing our part and uh, we'll just keep the ball rolling keep on trucking on the last tune I think that we're gonna do speaking of eighty nine. I think speaks to this idea. And right? speaking of this topic, this yeah. all this all was very very organic, listeners, because uh, here here we are going into the last song, and this was not staged. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it wasn't. So eighty nine. No, your turn. I did the last one. Introduce oh, the last okay. one. Okay, sorry. All right. So uh, this one speaks for itself. I mean, I think it speaks for itself. It speaks for all of us. Uh, Love is real, not fade away. This is going back to eighty nine, July fourth. Uh, I was at this show. Um, this is a fantastic, fantastic rendition of this tune. And I think what you want to do, uh, if you're out there listening, pay attention to Jerry and Brent as they uh, chase each other around in uh, in one of the outgoing jams uh, before the end of the tune. Really, really fun. And uh, for me, uh, it's the way I think you would always want to remember Jerry. Just wickedly, wickedly smart. Uh, articulate on his instrument, uh, playful, energetic, daring, and uh, quite frankly, just a shitload of fun. That's what it's all about. How fun. And, I mean, my God, the 4th of July, I mean, the, 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 the holidays. Yeah, no, magic, magic, magic. Magic, magic, right? I mean, just magic. So, yeah. um, right on. Well, let's go and play Not Fade Away, and then we're just going to come back for a very quick goodbye and uh, and enjoy. Rock on. Let's hear it.
not fade away and you know our love will not fade away i mean that 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 song says it all it kind of wrapped everything up with a with a nice little bow right i think so absolutely well thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and you know becoming a friend and getting to know you and and sharing the story thank you listen i really i i do have to say to you i think what you're doing here just like deb i think you're doing a real service for the community i really do I think it's a really, really cool thing. I can't thank you enough for shining the light on me and what I do. I'm really grateful for that. Um, my hope is that uh, the podcast gets out there. It's not about me, not about you necessarily, but, again, just gives everyone out there an opportunity to continue to share and uh, be part of um, this ongoing story that uh, really unfolds under this amazing umbrella of music. I think you're doing an amazing job. You made me feel really, really comfortable. I had a really, really good time, and I just wanted to, from the bottom of my heart, say thank you so much. Well, thank you. And uh, like I said to you, and I, and I will say to everyone who's listening, if you had fun and I had fun, then, you know, then it's in. You know, like, the, that's, that's what matters. Now, anyone out there who's listening, if you have fun, then it's just gravy on top. So, um so it just makes me really happy. It makes me, you know, please, I always say this little entry, send me a note, shoot me a, you know, shoot me a letter. I mean, I, I really want to hear from everyone. I mean, it's a, 
This podcast is it's your podcast, Deadheads. It's a sampling of the the parking lot, the community of everybody. So, um, you know, I, we, we we this is all for you, just to have a good time. So, anyone who either has something to say or would like to be on, um, you know, just shoot me an email because because uh, I want to hear from you, <laughs> and, and uh, continue to pass it on. So I'm going to say I will be seeing you hopefully in a couple of weeks in in uh, in the New York City area. Uh, I'll be and, here, and I look forward to seeing you down the road. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay. Well, bye. Bye. Thanks, Grace. Love you. Thank you. Bye. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.